This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the internet and radio ministry of the Christian Crusaders. Have you ever prayed and prayed for something only to be disappointed? Does God really hear our prayers? In today's message, we're going to talk about one man who took his heartbreak to God and how God worked through him to answer his request. Please join us as we study the inspiring story of Nehemiah. For the next two Sundays, we're going to take a look at one of the most valuable resources that God has given us. So I hope you'll stay with us. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne of grace today, grateful that you have given us access through your Son, Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. Our reading for today is taken from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanani, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about the city of Jerusalem. They replied, The survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, Lord. If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. At the time, I was cupbearer to the king. Dear friends, is prayer your first reaction or your last resort? Your first impulse or an afterthought? 
I know that some of us wonder at times as we struggle with prayer, why bother with it? God knows what I need, so why bother him? Or someone else might say, I've been disappointed in past prayer efforts, so why bother to pray? Our answer to that question is because Nehemiah did. We read about it in his memoirs, which we find in our Old Testament. Let me give you some background. It's 444 BC, before Christ. The Persian Empire is now in power, and King Artaxerxes is uh, in charge of the whole thing. Israel had been in exile in Babylon for their disobedience to God for many, many years. But now, with the Persians coming into power, God sees to it that the first groups of exiles are allowed to return to Jerusalem, where they would rebuild the temple. They went to work on that, but the rest of the city is in absolute ruins. No walls to protect them. They had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The whole infrastructure of the city is in need of a redo. Enter a Jewish fellow named Nehemiah. He hears about this one day from his brother Hanani, who's just come from Jerusalem. As he asks him, how are things back home? And Hanani says, things are bad. The people are in great trouble and shame. They're being overrun. There's no defense against the enemies. Our nation could be on its way out. We're barely surviving. And Nehemiah is crushed by this news. And he weeps over his beloved Jerusalem. This news is breaking his heart. The future of his people are at stake. God's plan to use them as the blessing to the nations of the world, the light to the nations, could be at risk. Someone has to step up. So what's the first thing Nehemiah does? He goes to his knees. <laughs> it says he fasted and prayed for three months. He and he waited and waited for God to respond. Fasting is for a focus as well as a sign of our penitence and our mourning over our sin. And look at that prayer of Nehemiah. First, he gets his heart reoriented by beginning his prayer, focusing on the greatness of God. As he refers to God as God of the heavens over all, great and awesome, the powerful one to be feared who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He's faithful, and he hears my prayer, he says. So hear my prayer. After he declares God's greatness, he declares his own smallness as he moves into a time of confession, acknowledges uh, his own sin, not only his people's sin, but his family's sin and his personal sin. He says, I know, God, I'm part of the problem here. God... I know you owe us nothing, so I come empty-handed, confessing, seeking your forgiveness. And he prays scripture. He says, remember, that's a key word here, remember the word you spoke through Moses way, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, where you said, if my people turn away from me, I will punish them and I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to establish my name. 
Well, Lord, though they have sinned, they are your people whom you redeemed. But this hasn't come to completion yet. And they are delighting in revering your name. They've rebuilt the temple. They're worshiping you. They still need your help, Lord. They still need you to give them that peace that you promised to establish them. So, Lord, give success to me, Nehemiah, your servant, and give me mercy in the sight of the man, the king. Use me to do your will. Amen. And the chapter ends in chapter 1. At that time, I was cupbearer to the king. That says loads. Being a cupbearer was an important job. To be the royal cupbearer means that you had had it made. You, the king trusted you. You had uh, access to the king and influence. Uh, all kinds of benefits. Nehemiah was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. And what happens next is amazing. After three months of praying like that, the king one day, seeing the troubled look on Nehemiah's face, asked him, why the sad face, Nehemiah? What's the matter? And Nehemiah explains his sadness and his desire to go back home and help his people and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. The king thinks about that, asks a couple more questions, consults with his wife who's sitting there with him, and winds up saying yes to Nehemiah's request to go back home. He also gives him letters of passport for safe passage there, and lumber and materials for the project, and an armed escort as well. <laughs> Isn't that something? Wow! The prayer is being answered. Nehemiah goes, and when he gets there, he takes a night walk around the city. People there don't know yet what he's up to. And he has a few people with him. And after he goes around and examines the walls of the city that night, he sits down with them and he gives them a vision. The vision given and a testimony to God answering his prayer to actually come home to do this. And the leaders, they buy into the plan. And they begin to go to work to restore the walls of Jerusalem. And that battered little community under Nehemiah's leadership eagerly and passionately went to work to restore their holy city. As you read on in this story, we find it wasn't an easy task by any means. Some days it seemed like an impossible task. One thing I've learned along the way, as you probably have too, is carrying out God's mission never is an easy thing. He faced opposition from uh, three men named uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and uh, uh, who was an Ammonite. And they, they were fearful of losing political and economic control over the area, so they attempted to stop this whole project by a variety of tactics. They didn't want to see this wall go up. They tried, first of all, intimidation tactics, telling Nehemiah and the people, we're watching you. You better be afraid. 
They tried uh, even having a planned attack on the wall workers, but it was foiled. And then they tried slander and lies about Nehemiah, spreading the rumor that he's just declaring himself a king. They tried assassination as they said, come visit us, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah refuses to get off the wall. He says, I'm doing a great work. I cannot and will not come down. Then there was character assassination. They told him through a, a, an inner person to seek protection in the temple behind closed doors because he was about to come under attack. They thought if he ran to the temple and hid himself, that would ruin his reputation as a real leader. Nothing more than a big scaredy cat, they could say. And finally, the devil's at work. Even in their own midst, there is greed causing some problems. The rich nobles and officials among the Jews were taking advantage of the poor who were having to hawk everything to pay their interest in taxes and try to keep food on their tables was almost impossible. And they were working on the wall besides, and the kids were being taken away from them as payment, and they're, they're just not making it. So they rightfully complained to Nehemiah. Nehemiah takes off after those rich people on their behalf and gets them to give back what they'd taken, as well as promise to not take advantage of the poor any longer turns out that even in all of this, Nehemiah himself was doing this job for no pay. And to top it all off, he dug into his own pockets to fund the workers who were ready to give up the project and quit. And the strike was averted. And lo and behold, the wall is done, completed, after only 52 days. Miraculous! And the surrounding nations, Scripture tells us in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, were fearful, for they knew God had been at work. Hear these words. And when all our enemies heard of this, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God was glorified before the nations. A pretty amazing story, isn't it? I'm surprised that Hollywood hasn't made a movie of it yet. What does it have to do with us, though? Does it have anything to say to our time, our day? It does. Nehemiah is the last of the history books in the Old Testament. So we must remember this is another chapter of God's redemptive history that began back in Genesis 3 when God said that he would crush the head of the serpent. And in Genesis 12, that he would make Abraham's descendants a blessing to the nations of the world. This was another chapter. This was a time when God's people were disgraced and on the ropes, and people wondered would God's plan lay waste? Had he deserted them to make it on their own? Was this beyond his help? And the good news is, God did not desert them. He sent someone a cupbearer of the king, to put things back together again so that his great redemptive plans could move on. God is faithful to his people. We see it in this story today. As I said, this is a chapter in a much bigger story, a restoration project in the midst of a much bigger restoration project, restoration of the world. About 400 years later, a new cupbearer will enter the scene. This restored Jerusalem, 
and he will pray in a garden before his crucifixion, Father, take this cup from me. The cup of God's wrath is what he's talking about for humanity's sin. Jesus would step down from his heavenly court to save and restore his people. He too one day would weep over Jerusalem himself and face all kinds of opposition and enemies as he ushered his rebuilding project into this world, his father's kingdom. And on a cross, he will build something, all right, a bridge between God and humanity, restoring and rescuing his lost people. And they mocked him and they invited him to come down if he was a Messiah and he was tempted to give up, but he didn't. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down just like Nehemiah. And God raised him from the grave, affirming the new covenant in his blood. And the story moves on. This God continues his restoration through the church, you and me, bringing others into his kingdom, slowly but surely moving us towards that new Jerusalem, that new heaven and earth at the end, creation totally restored. God's work finally completed. And that, my friends, is one of the great reasons to pray. God's faithfulness. This story is not so much about Nehemiah's leadership and power, though we do learn some important things through his experiences. It's more about God's faithfulness and grace, that he has given us his valuable tool called prayer and that he answers prayer. This is a prayer and hard work story, not just the prayer at the beginning of his memoirs, but all the way through the project, he's praying, praying for help, praying for strength, praying for protection, saying, remember, O Lord. He accomplishes great things, this God, through obedient servants who answer his call to serve and who pray. This story is for his workers, meaning if you're in Christ, you and me. Our God is unchanging. That same grace and strength is available to you and me as God's workers in his field, as the church in mission. He still has an unchanging plan to restore his whole creation, to bless all the nations through his son, Jesus. And we're the called people empowered by his spirit to serve out his purposes in bringing people to that kingdom. So our takeaway from this Nehemiah story as missionaries as servants of God, working for the Lord Jesus Christ to bring people into his kingdom is simply this. Pray first and work hard. Amazing thing happens with this combination in this order. Prayer, hard work, and God's faithfulness got that wall built, didn't it? Jesus operated the same way in his day-to-day -day ministry, and even before the trial on the cross, there was prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you might say, yeah, but that wasn't Nehemiah's time in the time of Jesus. Can those things actually happen today? Let me tell you a story. In 2010, a group of eight people from two churches felt called to the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood of Sacramento, California. It was known as one of the most notorious crime-ridden neighborhoods in all of Sacramento. Each house in that neighborhood was a place of danger. Nonetheless, this group of eight decided to walk through the neighborhood, praying over each home, praying for the presence of Christ to reign over violence, addiction, and satanic oppression. They began walking through the neighborhood, praying over each home, and rebuking the demonic strongholds of addiction and violence. One of the eight 
former Sacramento police officer and gang detective Michael Zhang reported that each time we prayed over the houses, we felt the weight of oppression becoming lighter. A woman from one of the houses confronted them. When she discovered they were praying for the community, she asked for healing, and God healed her. The group soon physically moved into the neighborhood and started what they called Detroit Life Church. A couple years later, a local newspaper, the Sacramento Bee, reported that there were no homicides, robberies, or sex crimes, and only one assault in Detroit Boulevard between 2013 and 2014. Detroit Boulevard had been transformed by a small group of people who began their ministry in the neighborhood by praying around houses, streets, and parks for the power of Satan to be vanquished. Kingdom prayer in body is what it means to be faithfully present to his presence in this world. Listen, Nehemiah's favorite position when faced with overwhelming problems and odds was the kneeling position, and then he got up and worked hard. May that be said of us as individuals and as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the privilege of prayer. May it be our first thing to do instead of our last resort as we face the situations in our lives. We praise you for this story today, reminding us that you do answer prayer and that you are faithful to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over, and within you to give you his peace. Amen. You've been worshiping with the internet and radio ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's story of Nehemiah will inspire you to first take your cares to God in prayer. Then get off your knees and get to work in God's kingdom. Christian Crusaders appreciates the generous support we receive from our listeners. One way your support can help the lives of others continue to be enriched through the hearing of God's Word is to remember this ministry in your estate planning. For more information on estate giving, call us at 1-888-MY-FAITH or 1-888-693-2484 or visit us online at www.christiancrusaders.org. Be sure to check us out on our website where you can find printed and audio versions of today's program as well as past programs. Our website address is christiancrusaders.org. If you enjoyed today's program and would like it to continue, we ask you to consider making a gift to this ministry. Christian Crusaders is of vital importance to many persons who are unable to attend worship services in the church of their choice. All donations are considered tax-deductible. We are happy you chose to worship with us this day, and we pray you will join us again next Sunday on this station. Conducting our service was our speaker, Rev. Steve Kramer, Senior Pastor of Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Afton, Minnesota. Christian Crusaders, on the air and online, now in its 83rd year of broadcasting biblical truth.